Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. We've been in a series here at Oceans Church called, uh, what's it called? It's called Unconventional. Unconventional. It's a good one. We're going to have a great time, though. If you're new to our church, uh, I want to say a big welcome. I know many people uh, have hang-ups. They have doubts. They have uh, critiques. Uh, many, many people I've even met have been wounded, even hurt by a church, by a Christian, by a pastor. And uh, I don't know if you've been there before, but you had a family member that maybe believed in God that didn't represent him very well. And I just want to say a big out of the gate, I am sorry that you had a bad experience on the behalf of God. But he's a good father. And how many of those, sometimes even good parents have weird kids? Can we all agree on that? And if you don't have any weird family members, come on, it could be you. But every family's got them. And uh, I'm excited to have you here with us today. We believe that God is good. We believe that he's real, that he still speaks, still moves. And we're a little bit of a rowdy church. I want to warn you, there's a lot of churches that think that churches should be like a library, quiet. But I want you to know that I think it's a little bit ridiculous that we lose our voices, we paint our chest, clarify, guys, at sporting events, and uh, we cheer for people in purple uniforms running down a field or a court, catching a ball and shooting a ball, that do not know our name, that we will never have a conversation with, that doesn't know our kids, has nothing to do with our marriage, has no power to lead us, guide us, or bless us, but we have no problem getting excited in that environment. But for some reason, when people get excited in church, that's weird. Sounds like something that you would do if you're the devil. <laughs> that's like the age-old lie in the wilderness. If a bear comes, you lay down and roll, roll on the ground in the fetal position. Who came out with that one? The bears? <laughs> Another message. I'm going to jump in today. Uh, We've been in a series called Unconventional. We believe it's okay to laugh in church. Is that all right? And if you're into churches that you can sleep through that are boring and you think God's more happy that you're enduring church, you are dismissed, Uh, we're going to have a good time today. We believe the Bible is is good news. I really haven't met anybody. Have you met anybody that's like, man, how did you come to faith? Well, someone was yelling at a sporting event that I was going to go to hell. And I was going to burn with brimstone. And I just decided this is the time to change. <laughs> I want to remind you, if you've met someone like that, that the world actually comes to know God through his goodness. Yeah. be honest, I don't think people need to hear about how screwed up they are. Yeah. Most of us are well aware. I want you to know that I believe that, that most people want God when they experience how good he is. That's what we're going to do today, the next 30 minutes. If you're new to our church, we're going to open up our Bibles. We are going to go to an unconventional portion of Scripture, Matthew chapter 1. It is the begots. <laughs> There's going to be some excitement in here in a second. But we're going to go to an unconventional passage. I'm going to read 10 verses, actually 11 verses. I'm going to pray if you're new today. I'm like, what's going on? I'm going to pray real quick. Usually, uh, actually, I'll be honest, every week I've preached the last 97 weeks, uh, I always try to lift up the Lakers to some capacity. Because I'm a Christian, and uh, we'll pray for the Lakers somewhere in there. But I do want to—I want to be serious on this note—is that we'll have a good time. I'll tell some stories. If you laugh, we call them jokes. If you don't laugh, we call it a bad crowd. And uh, 
We're going to have fun today, but I do promise uh, I want to be up front that there is going to be a moment that I, we're going to tie everything that I talk about to this, these verses. And I do believe that God always co-signs on his word when people preach it boldly. And people will be healed and touched. Some of you are going to start getting emotional, like, why am I crying? This is like good vibes. That's the presence of God. And some of you don't know what the presence of God is yet, but I'll tell you, it's the most addictive thing on the universe. I'm addicted to God's presence. It's better than drugs. Come on. That's why I love the word of God. I'm addicted to it too. Come on, I take it one line at a time. Come on, somebody. And I love the Bible. It is addictive. And so today, come on, too close to home in Orange County. Uh, we're going uh, to open up. Shots fired. Uh, Matthew chapter Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Let's read 10 verses together today. If you're taking notes, my, uh, I talked last week about an unconventional response. We talked about an unconventional change, unconventional change. And today I want to talk to you today about unconventional people, unconventional people. Uh, I don't know about you, but if you've ever read the Bible, it's a little bit funny about the people that God would use to do what he wants to get done in the world. It's not really the way most of us would pick our teams on the on the, on the blacktop at recess. If we're being honest, can we all agree that God probably wouldn't select the same way that we would? And uh, that's what we kind of find throughout the Bible. And so today, if you want, want to watch, take, take notes or pay attention, uh, Harvard did a study that if you take notes, you'll marry someone better looking. I don't know if it's true. That's a lie. That's the only lie of the day. Is that all right? Um, but uh, I do believe that God is going to speak today. So if you get your Bible, Matthew chapter 1, let's begin reading again. This is a unconventional, most, you probably never will hear another message out of Matthew chapter 1, uh, out of the first uh, 17 verses again in your life. But today is going to be good. If you believe it, say amen. Uh, please, I love it. I love a good amen every once in a while. You can help me preach. Uh, you, you can say, go ahead. You can say, preach. It helps me preach faster and the temperature stays cooler. All right, Matthew chapter 1 says, this is the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ. Who are we talking about? This is the family tree. This is the original Ancestry.com of Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham. Abraham, here's where it gets a little bit, some would say painful. I call it interesting. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. Jacob begot Judah. Judah begot uh, uh, his brother. Judah begot Perez. And Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Abinadab. Abinadab begot Nation. Nation begot Salmon. Close to Salmon, but not not quite. Salmon uh, begot Boaz by Rahab. By Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse. Jesse was the daddy of David the king. David the king begot Solomon by him, by her, excuse me, by her, who had been the wife of Uriah. Here's Matthew, a good Jew, who was too embarrassed to actually even write the name of Bathsheba. He's like, this story is way too scandalous to be attached to the Messiah. So he says, uh, it's actually the wife of uh, Uriah. Solomon begot Rehoboam. Rehoboam begot uh, uh, Abijah, Abijah begot Asa, Asa begot Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat begot Joram, Joram begot Uzziah, Uzziah begot Jotham. You guys having fun yet? Jotham begot Ahaz, Ahaz begot Hezekiah, Hezekiah begot Manasseh, Manasseh begot a a Ammon, Ammon begot Josiah, and Josiah begot Jeconiah, and Jeconiah brothers. Uh, and it says this, about that time they were carried away to Babylon. And I, that was my uh, best attempt to butcher as many names in the Bible as I could. 
But uh, I want to talk to you today a little bit about the people that God is interested in. Is that all right? Uh, very unusual passage, and I'll explain. But let's pray together. We're going to have a good time if you believe it. Say amen. God, I thank you for today. I'm grateful for what you're doing in Orange County. I believe, Lord, if there's anywhere in the world that could get excited about what the power of, of what happens here, having the ability to change the rest of the country, it's here. We thank you that throughout history, you use this state, this part of the state, to be a catalyst to reviving our lands, our nations, and the nations of the world. We believe if you've done it in days past that you can do it today. We believe that you can do it now. So, Lord, today, would you speak to us? Would you lead us? Would you guide us? Would you keep it cool in this tent? And I pray, Father, that we have an amazing time together. Do what only you can do. We love you so much. Bless the Lakers. In Jesus' name. Come on, someone say amen. 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 I, uh, I noticed this, that every family has a different definition of medical emergency. Have you noticed this? Every family has a different criteria of what a medical emergency is. Now, I grew up, my mama had three boys, so we destroyed everything that she owned. I have two older brothers, John and Lucifer. It's not his name. His name is Satan. Um, but my Check, check. No? No, there it is. There it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There you go. Praise God. Yeah, that was, that was Lucifer at work right there. I, uh. We were raised. So my mom, she, uh, she, she had three boys. It wasn't like there's was a bunch of, you know, girls in the house that were sensitive. And, you know, girls are different than raising boys. And all the boy parents said amen. I have two little girls. My little girl, my youngest, is doing her best to keep it interesting. She's kind of like a blender that's missing a lid. Come on. But uh, I, had, I had three older brothers, so we destroyed everything. But my mom, she, uh, she did not determine an a, a emergency uh, whether it was something serious like a disease or if it was like stitches related, uh, sickness, you're throwing, it doesn't matter what, how sick you were, there was pretty much four remedies according to my mom to get well, just four. And I thought they were normal until I became an adult. And I realized that we were a little strange because my mom growing up, she, she pretty much boiled down that you can get better. You can recover from anything if you have saltine crackers, 7-Up, which I've read the label. I don't know where the medicinal properties are in 7-Up. But she said, no, all you need is some 7-Up, some saltine crackers, Olivera. I'm like, mom, I have a... <laughs> Just rub some Olivera on your stomach. I'm like moms, all right. <laughs> it puts the lotion on. Uh, it's great. I, I not only Olivera, but the last thing that my mom was, she swore by. She's like Dimetap. COVID nineteen, take some Dimetap. She was gonna it, it cure any cancer. Dimetap. It's like my mom's one stop shop was Dimetap. So we didn't go to the emergency room. I went to the doctor probably one one hand in my life growing up, and I thought it was normal. And then I got married, and my wife's family different they use the word nauseous like i use the word i'm hungry in the francie family nauseous is after you threw up four times then you use nauseous her family's like i'm just kind of nauseous i'm like man someone get a pot someone get the popcorn bowl your house too right 
It's crazy. There's different, you know, every family's different, but some families, they go to the ER, go to the doctor's office. And you need stitches. Like, no, you need some Olivera, you know? And every family was different, but I just learned this, that every family has its own quirks. Every, every family has its kind of weird idiosyncrasies. And the one thing that everyone in this building and everyone that's uh, watching online has in common is not one of us got to choose who are moms, who are dads, who are aunts, uncles. Not one of you selected the country you were born in. No one chose the language that you would be born into. No one selected the time period in history that you would come into the earth. And this started really fascinating me because there's only one human being that has ever lived, that will ever live, that actually had the power to choose when, where, how, and with who he would be related to. Jesus is the only one that would actually have the, the selection to say, I want those genetics. I want that social economic status. I want to live in that neighborhood. I want to have a six foot 10 dad. Come on. I want to have LeBron James as a brother. No. I mean, if I was choosing, I'm like, Brad Pitt would have been my, my looks factor. Come on. And I would have, look, we would have chose things differently. Like I want him to look like Brad Pitt. I want him to have the wealth of, come on, like, like Mark Zuckerberg. And I'm going to choose my family differently. But what we find here is you read Matthew chapter 1, and again, these are names, but I want to remind you that every name in the Bible has a story. Names have stories, and I want to remind you that throughout history, stories have mattered to God. What's wild to me is that Jesus could have chose anybody, but you see people in his family tree that are just so unconventional. Like, really, Jacob? Like, not Esau. His brother's name was Harry. Which, that's a hairy baby. When you come out, and like, we're going to call him Sam, but now it's Esau. Like, Esau was so hairy, Bigfoot took pictures of him. You know what I'm talking about? He, uh, he had Jacob. He had, he had all these different family members that he chose. And there's people like, I was reading through it. it. Jacob means deceiver. It means trickster. He changes his name, changes his nature. Josiah is only eight years old when he becomes king. Tamar tricks. This is, we don't talk about this in church. She tricked her father-in-law after her husband died into dressing like a, like a prostitute and getting pregnant by her father. This is, Judah is like one of the worst out of the 12 sons of Israel. And we note this, that Jesus could have chose to come through Joseph's family tree, could have chose to come through Reuben's family tree or Benjamin's family tree, but he chooses crooked Judah? What in the world? God, you could have chose anybody, but you put people like Rahab? Rahab is a woman of the night. She, she, uh, she wasn't even Jewish. And she somehow smuggles her way into the lineage of the greatest family tree ever documented. How in the world? Bathsheba is not even mentioned by name. It's the story of David falling in love with a girl named Bathsheba while she's taking a bath. It's scandalous. She, he murders one of his greatest soldiers to actually get access to his wife after she was pregnant. You read about Solomon. Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. He's a polygamist. He's, it's like, I thought he was the wisest person in the world. But he had 700 wives. I'm like, this guy, what are you? And here's what we know about Solomon is that, is that scholars would tell us that the reason why he went off track is because when you actually are intimate with your spouse, in, in the Jewish customs, you were unclean. 
And so Solomon was the wisest person to ever live, but he ended up dying a fool away from God because he lost his intimacy with God. And I see throughout over and over these stories of, of the rise of success and the rise of failure. Manasseh was a king in Israel that practiced witchcraft, worshipped the stars, and sacrificed his own children to a foreign god. And yet God's like, all right, I'm going to choose. All right, everyone line up on the, on the blacktop. I'm choosing my team. I want Manasseh. Mahu? I want Tamar. Huh? I want that yeah, Rahab. Rahab becomes the great great grandmother of King David. A, a, a prostitute, a, Canaan, a, a woman of the land of Canaan, smuggles her way into the family genealogy of Jesus. And it's just wild. As you read through every one of these people in his family tree, most of them you're like, I would never choose them. But here's the big ideas of Matthew chapter 1. If you want to write these down, you can. Is that God wanted to make a point to show the world who he was going to use and who his son was coming to save. He wanted to be very clear on the type of unconventional people, number one, that God could use. And not only who he would use, but the type of people that he would come to save. You see, if humanity's greatest problem was the lack of money, 2,000 years ago, God would have sent us a world-class economist. And if our greatest need was entertainment, 2,000 years ago, God would have sent us the greatest scientist to ever, ever walk the earth. If our greatest need was entertainment, come on, 2,000 years ago, God would have sent us a singer, come on, maybe a, a singing computer called Adele, come on. Tough crowd. But because humanity's greatest need 2,000 years ago was saving, he would actually send a savior into the world, born in Bethlehem, in a manger. This is crazy. The big idea is here in Matthew 1 is that God uses imperfect people to fulfill God's sovereign plan. And listen, that's not the end point. That's the starting point. Because God will always meet you in your mess, but he, he loves you way too much to leave you there. Some people say, Mark, if God's so good, why would he make me change? Number one, he makes no one change. But I do want to warn you that when you've lived your life in the freeway, in a dangerous place, and you see a beautiful, safe place to call home with Jesus, you will willingly and desire to walk off of that freeway and into a safe place with God. He doesn't force us to change, but it is his goodness that leads us to change. With Jesus, where you come from, here's a big idea of Matthew chapter 1. With Jesus, where you come from does not determine where you can go. I don't care who your mom was, who your dad was. I don't care if you're born in a crack house. I don't care what part of the neighborhood you were raised in. I don't care how smart you are or aren't. I got good news that God could use anybody. Say it again. He used anybody. Matthew chapter 1 says that he is a God that like, does not care where you start, that with him limitations are lifted. God decided to use people to reach people. Have you ever noticed that the best part of the world is uh, oftentimes your experiences you have with people? People ask me sometimes, they go, Mark, what's your favorite thing about being a pastor? I'm like, oh, easy. People. I love the people. They're amazing. I love good people, great people. I love helping people. Just people, people. What's your least favorite thing about ministry? I'm like, easy. People. People are crazy. They're mean. They're ugly sometimes. Malicious. Demonic. Some like people. Isn't it crazy that life some of the greatest highs and some of the greatest lows are attached to people. 
I want to remind you there is only one natural resource that God cares about on this planet, and it's called people. God is not coming back for a Swiss bank account. He's not coming back for the gold that's in Fort Knox. God is not interested in any of these things. God is coming back because he loves people. Do you know that humanity is God's favorite thing about the earth? What a thought. And Jesus, was, this is crazy. Jesus was one of the greatest. He was the greatest person, people, to ever live. We know because he did things in three and a half years that people have been talking about for 2,000. I don't know anybody else that had a little public, public run, a couple cameos for three and a half years that has caused the world to, to gaze at for 2,000 years after the fact. See, Jesus, according to Dallas Willard, Jesus is not just nice. He's brilliant. He's brilliant because he claimed things that no one else ever claimed. He said things that no one else has ever said. Can you imagine meeting someone like Jesus that claimed to be able to forgive sins? Matthew, excuse me, yeah, Matthew chapter 9, verse 47, he says, I am the God that can forgive. What's easier to say? Rise up and walk? But that you might know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. What's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to say rise up and walk? He is the only. Can you imagine meeting a mechanic at the auto body shop? That as you're talking to him, you're like, yeah, I'm having a tough day. And he's like, oh, that's, a, that's easy. All you got to do is ask for forgiveness in my name. All right, Buzz. I'm not sure that's going to fly. Jesus, I don't know if you ever realize. Some people say, Mark, he's just a good moral teacher. Jesus like a good world religious figure. Like he's just a good, like, I don't know, like prophet. And some of the world believes that. But I want you to know that Jesus is not just a prophet or a good teacher. And I'll prove it to you because, listen, he is out of his mind if he claims that he could forgive sins. Only God can do that. He claimed to be greater than Abraham, Solomon, Jonah, and Jacob. He commanded people to pray in his name. Can you imagine me and someone say, oh, you need to talk to God? Just use my name. Try it out. Go ahead. Next time you're in need, come on, just go ahead. Throw it, say Mark. Come on. Just throw it middle of the prayer time. Just say, all right, I really need a job. Come on. Mark told me. <laughs> Do you realize that he is crazy if he's not God? Because no one else would say, use my name. John 14, 13 and 14. Use my name when you pray. He said that his words were going to outlive heaven and earth. All right, Buzz, the mechanic, if you say that to me, I am going to think you are out of your mind. Hey, guys, I'm going to die. But listen, my words live longer than everything. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not. This is wild. He said in Matthew 28 that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Can you imagine someone saying, hey, you know, look, I know, I know there's people in the White House and there's prime ministers and there's, there's different dignitaries, but I want you to know that all authority, not only in this world, in America, in California, but in heaven, it's been entrusted to me. Jesus made some statements that, quite frankly, if he's not God, no one else could say or do. But I want to remind you that what he said is validated only by what he did. Listen, if he does not come out of the grave on the third day, we are, listen, his words have no weight. But what validates the story of the Good Samaritan and what, what validates the stories of the New Testament and what validates the fact that he could heal and he could raise and he could move and he could speak is not only what he said. It was the fact that when he said, I'm going to die, I'm going to be in the ground for three days, but on the third day I'm coming back. And the fact that he followed through with what he said he would do. His words were validated by his actions of his life. 
And throughout history, God, since that point, has used humanity in unconventional ways to bring about his cause in the planet. You see, God chose people that no one else would choose, but there was four criterias that God looked for in using people that would bring revival, awakening, and bring ultimately his purpose into the earth. Can I share them with you today? The first thing that we see about God's people that he uses, unconventional people, number one, they are people that know how to believe. Now, it's going to get quiet in the Presbyterian church for a second. That's all right. But I want you to know that God is not looking for thinkers alone. He's looking for believers. Many people miss heaven by about 16 inches, the distance between their head and their heart. Because, listen, Christianity will visit your brain, but it lives in your heart. Many people don't realize that God, it says this in Romans chapter 10, it says that it actually, it's very clear, 10, 9, it says to, to believe in your and confess with your, do you know that 50% of following Jesus is connected to what you believe? One scholar said the two most important things about you is what you believe to be true about God. And the second is what you believe to be true about yourself. Because everything else in this world is connected to those two ideas. If you believe that God doesn't care, you won't talk to him. If you believe that God is not there, you won't acknowledge him. If you believe that God is in a bad mood, are you following me today? There is something about knowing, believing. All right, what do I believe about God? And I love this. Hebrews 11 says that he who comes to God must believe that God exists and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Some of you are like, Mark, I've read the Bible. It's not real. Listen, the Bible is activated like your television when there's electricity. The electricity of the Bible is faith. The electricity of prayer is faith. Smith Wigglesworth said, you will never pray the prayer of faith by looking at the difficulty. You will only pray solutions when you realize the sovereignty of God's power. And many people, they, they look at the impossibilities of life and they do not believe. Have you noticed that people call us believers? You know, one of the greatest oxymorons in North America is unbelieving Christians. Can I ask you a question? What are you believing for? I'm believing to go to heaven one day. I, I want you to know Jesus died on the cross to give you more to believe for. He didn't just want to just get you to heaven. Because if heaven was the only goal of Christianity, when you got saved, we could just take you out back and just end your life. Because if the goal of Christianity was just heaven, the moment you pray, go. The fact that you're sucking oxygen is the fact that God has more of a plan for you than just going there. It's actually bringing some of that down, down here. He died to believe. What do you believe? Let me ask, what do you believe? I actually believe the size of your ask. A-S-K. Come on, follow me. The size of your request, let's keep it entertaining, the size of your ask, it actually reveals the magnitude of how big God is in your eyes. Some of you only believe that God can get you to heaven. Some of you only believe that God can maybe heal your little headache. Some of you believe, well, maybe God can do something with my job. Maybe God could give me a job. Maybe God could give me a friend. Maybe God could bring me a spouse. Maybe, maybe. Listen, the size of your request actually reveals the size of your faith. Some people have faith, well, man, yeah, maybe God could heal a headache. Who says God could heal a headache? But it's funny because you go, all right, who has stage four cancer? Let's pray for him right now. Who believes that God could heal cancer? Uh, that's one of those crazy churches. 
I want to go to the temple. I know it's one of those crazy faith churches. Can I ask you, would you rather go to a church that believes? I don't need to believe. Well, all right, that's fine. But when you get diagnosed with something, when it matters to you personally, let's make it personal. You might not believe in miracles until your kid gets sick. And then you start wondering, all right, if there is a God that heals, let's explore it. But why is it only important when it touches you directly? I would suggest there's people in this tent today that need a touch from God. And I want to remind the world, because you think with your, your human brain, listen, God is different than you and I. God does not lift my, it's not like he lifts this Bible and he's like, oh, yeah, that's easy. Easy. That's light. But he tries to lift this stage. He's like, oh, no, come on, guys. Settle down those requests. I move Bibles. I don't move stages. I can pick up pebbles, but I don't, I don't touch boulders. Jesus says, speak to the what? Mounds are tough to move sometimes. But I love the fact that God would actually set it up and say, you know what? In your eyes, some things are harder than some things are easier. Write this down. With God, there's no hard and easy. There's belief. Are you saying that everyone gets healed? No, I'm not saying that. That's not true. But I am saying that people do get healed. Well, what if they don't get healed? I would rather go out on a limb and live a life of faith, believing and maybe only one out of 100 people that I pray for get healed. I would say that the one person that does, and the rate's higher than that, by the way, actually is worth it to believe the other 99 times. Maybe just me. That's all right. We believe in Jesus. We, we believe that he's alive. Unconventional people not only believe that he's alive, that he's real, that he's good. Your request to God reveal how, how good you think he is. You think he's just interested in getting you to heaven, or do you think he's interested in getting you into a house? You think God's good enough to get you, get you into a good marriage? You think God's interested in having a good marriage, having healthy children? Some of you think that you're better than God is. Like, you want good things for your kids, but God could never want that for his. God is good. Can I get an amen? amen. He's powerful. He's loving. He's available. He's willing. We read story after story. The Bible was not written to tell you what he has done. It was written to give us faith to believe what he will do. He's willing. He's got a purpose. He's got an eternal plan. He's got a word that still works. He's got promises that can still be leaned on. He is a God that uses people that believe. And I want to challenge you today because I think many times, I'll be honest, even as a pastor, we start living beneath what, we wanna, what he wants us to believe for. I think, listen, revival is not going to come to people that aren't believing for it. You can write that down. There is not one church in Orange County that's going to see revival that's not believing for it. But I believe there's countless churches in California that are praying revival, that are speaking revival, that are believing revival. We don't need revival. Listen, when you're more excited about the movie theater than you are about Jesus, when you're more passionate about Netflix than you are your Bible, I'm, 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 I'm coming to this guy's me. I'm about entertainment, but when you love being entertained more than you love being inter more than you love entertaining the presence of God, we need revival. When we have the news determining what morally is right and morally wrong, we need revival. When we're looking to politicians to solve problems in the world that only God can fix, we need revival. We don't vote in morality. We don't vote in chance. Listen, we will vote, but God is the one that awakens the human heart. The heart of humanity's problem is the problem of the human heart. 
You can't lobby that. You can't vote that in or out. Listen, racism is a sin issue. God changes the human heart. Greed is a sin issue. He changes the human heart. Perversion is a sin issue. God changes the human heart. You can't vote a politician in to fix that. Jesus is the hope of the world. We are putting hope in temporary kings. He is the one that changes things. God is the only hope for America. God can change California. believers you see it I get it it's easy to be discouraged it's easy to try to believe and have it not work out it's easy when it doesn't happen the first time you pray to get discouraged but I want to remind you this morning church that God listen throughout history has responded to human beings that have believed I feel it so strong today some of you are like Mark I can't believe I can't see God I get it. It's hard to believe in something that you can't physically see. You know, it reminds me of this story about two babies having a philosophical conversation inside of their mother's womb. They actually were talking to each other in the womb. And uh, the first baby said to the other baby, he said, do you believe in life after delivery? The other baby said, of course. There has to be something after delivery. Maybe we're here to prepare ourselves for what's to come. Nonsense, says the other baby. There's no life after delivery. What would it even be like? And baby number one says, well, I bet it would be more light than in here. Maybe we'll walk with our legs. Maybe we'll eat with our mouths. Maybe we'll have other senses that we can't even understand yet. That's absurd, says the skeptical baby. Walking with your feet is impossible. Eating with your mouth, ridiculous. That's what the umbilical cord supplies. That's all we need. But that cord is short, so life after delivery is logically excluded. But baby number one insisted. He said, I think there's got to be something. Maybe it's just different than here. Maybe we wouldn't need that umbilical cord in the next life. Nonsense, says the skeptical baby. If that was true, how come no one's ever come back from there? Delivery is the end of life. After delivery, there's nothing but darkness, silence, and oblivion. It takes us nowhere. I don't know, says the other, but at any rate, I'm certain that at least we'll meet mother and she'll take care of us. Mother? You actually believe in mother? That's laughable. If she exists, where is she now? And the other baby says, uh, she's all around us. We're surrounded by her right now. We are of her. It is in her that we live. Without her, this world would not and could not exist. Well, I don't see her. So it's only logical that she doesn't exist. I don't know, but sometimes, uh, says the baby, when you're in silence long enough, and you focus and really listen, you can perceive her. Her presence is there and you can actually hear, I've heard her loving voice calling down on me from above. Listen, both these babies 
had a limited experience in the womb. And I get it. The idea of more than what you're currently seeing or experiencing is hard for your brain to wrap around. Some would say, Mark, if God is so good, if he is a good God, why do bad things happen in the world? Bad things happen, believe it or not, in the world. You can write this down because of one word. It's called love. It's love. Love is the main reason that evil, uh, apart from the fall of humanity, that's a little, little point, the main reason that there's evil in the room is because of love. Because God knew that we could not actually have love in the world if there was not free will. And the moment that God gave humanity the will to choose, he gave humanity the option to love. God didn't want robots that were assigned to him. He wanted children that willfully chose him. And uh, people say, Mark, why, why did that bad, why did my friend, I got a text this morning from my friend, is her, her brother died in a head-on collision last night in Texas. Text me, I woke up to that this morning. Why do bad things happen? Why do things like this? I don't know. There's no clean answer. And quite frankly, there's some things in life that I, I think that we'll have no clear, clean answer until we get to the next life. Well, that's, that's cop-out. Well, let me see what cop-out is. I think it's a cop-out when people accuse pastors and Christians. Well, that's just, it's a bunch of fairy hocus-pocus that God's good. Listen, there are some things that we don't understand now, but I promise one day we will. No, I don't believe that. Well, how about this? I don't believe. Why would God give us ears in the womb if we weren't really using them? Why would God give us eyes when we're inside of our mom's stomach if we're not using them? Why would God give us a mouth inside of our mom's stomach if we're not using it? I believe, listen, some of the things that God gives us in this life are actually for the next life. Some of you are wanting temporary answers for eternal issues. And if you'll just trust God and say, you know, God, that's, that, that hurts, it stings, this is hard, this is difficult, be my strength. You watch how you open your eyes in the next life and see the God that says, hey, look, I was calling this person home. This is their time to be with me. Eternity is our home. I wrote this down this week. Can I ask you a question? Sorry, a little bit sentimental today. Can I ask you a question, though? Um, you ever been with loved ones? You ever been with your favorite people in your favorite place and you just didn't want it to end? Who's ever felt that before? You're like, I just don't want this to stop. You know what's interesting? You know why we all feel that sometimes? Because God has wired us, hardwired us for heaven. People say, Mark, I don't want this to end. I don't want my vacation to end. I don't want my family reunion to end. I, I don't want this to stop. I wrote this down this week. Imagine this, friends, that you're in the best shape of your entire life. Someone say, praise the Lord. We know there's no calories in heaven because before the fall of humanity, Adam and Eve were naked and they were unashamed. Imagine you're in the best shape of your entire life. Imagine this. Come on, stay with me. You're in your favorite place. You're with your favorite people. You're actually in that moment doing what you love the most and what you excel at the most. Continually, without interruptions, without sickness, without tragedy, without pain, without sorrow, or without regret. You're completely fulfilled with inexhaustible love, bottomless joy, and you're submerged in a glory. It's God that you're with Him, you're for Him, 
and you're to him without end forever. This is heaven. And many people are complaining about God because he's not giving full heaven here on earth. He never promised that. But just because we can't have all of it yet here, we can still have some of it. But make no mistake about it, there will be a day that we close our eyes in this life and we will open them up and you'll say, Mark, you're right. I am more fulfilled. I'm more overwhelmed. Heaven's real. Heaven is our home. You stand your feet. I felt like the Lord today. I had more points. I, uh, I won't share them though. I've learned to date my messages and stay married to the Holy Spirit. Is uh, I just feel like the Lord wants us to believe. Can I just challenge all of it? I'm a, I'm a, I love God. I've been serving God full time for the last almost 20 years. And what I've learned is, is that God wants us to believe him. Any parents in here take pride the fact that your kids believe that you can take care of them? Any dads in here, come on, you find pleasure in like, man... My, my kids, they, my, my daughter hurt her foot here the other day when we were setting this up, and she came running to my wife, came running to me. My kids take pleasure, I take pleasure knowing that my kids know that I am, I am trustworthy, that they can run to me, that they can believe. My daughter, they don't have any worries about their, their Christmas list, that they start on January 1st. They know, they believe that their parents are capable of taking care of them. And I don't know who you are today. I just feel like God wants you to enlarge your belief. Is that all right? Who does God use? He uses people that believe. You saying that faith, just all about faith. You, this one of those faith churches? Yep. What's our antithesis? I'm going to go to that ocean. They're like one of those non-faith churches. They don't believe for anything there. I love it. It's really safe. We believe for miracles. We believe that God can move. I want to remind you, one, one, one pastor got in big trouble because he, he wrote a book. And it was a powerful book that shook a lot of religious people. And he said, look, if God, Jesus, came to the earth and did miracles, signs and wonders, and changed the world because he was God alone, just because he was God, that would be cool to read about, but it wouldn't really affect us. But if Jesus came to the world... And not only did he come to fulfill our righteousness, but he came to leave us an example. And if he came to the earth, earth and he did miracles, signs, and wonders, not as God, but as a man in right relationship with, with the Father, full of the Holy Spirit. If he did what he did because he was a man, full of the Holy Spirit, he was fully God, but yes, he was fully man. And if he actually was able to, to, to ask the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit to heal the sick, and again, I'm of the conviction that he did do this because that's why he would never say to us, greater things will you do because I go to the Father. He would have said, not even close things that I've done will you do because I leave. Here's your paddle, survive. He didn't say that. He's coming back for a church with signs and wonders. No, he's not. No, he's not. Those are false prophets with false signs. Listen, listen. If, they, if he warned about false prophets and false signs, it's only because there's going to be real prophets with real signs. Listen, if they were false ones, that you would just say, hey, beware of signs and prophets if they were all bad. 
he had to clarify false prophets, false signs, which leads us to believe that in the end, Jesus come back for a church that hears him and is full of his power. If you want to believe at a higher level, I'm done. Would you lift your hands to heaven? I feel revival stirring. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.